Welcome to WO50 Podcast, Women Over 50 in Body Wisdom and Wellness. That was my BFF, Eddie, and I'm Corinne. And our topic today is None of Us Are Getting Out of Here Alive, a conversation about death and dying. This is a important topic that some people don't want to talk about. But we got, got we, we covered a lot. Yeah, we, we had some little lists and, you know, we talked about making wills or getting a will and final wishes and, you know, getting comfortable around death and dying, celebrating life as we do birth and yeah. And how to make it easier, um, less complicated and easier by talking, having the conversations now, rather than when you're in a very emotional time. Um, either you are not well or somebody around you is not well or, or you lose them, um, you know, overnight. So it's happening to all of us because none of us are getting out of here alive. We're not. Mm-mm. Hi. Hi. So we were just talking about feeling a little low energy. We've got a big snowstorm here in Nashville. You've got one coming. You've done like pickleball and walking in the snow and what else was it you did like five things today oh no three things that was it and cooking and cooking and meditation I got my meditations in and my morning routine you know but yeah yeah but I I cut my pickleball short not two hours I did an hour and a half today Mm -hmm. just so you could walk for what six hours or something no no we did six kilometers in didn't take very long Yes, okay. we did 6K, that easy walk. My goodness, after 16K in Sicily, 6K. <laughs> yeah, Six but it's a bitter cold. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. No such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. And you got good ha- clothing. I do. I got warm, lots of warm stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. lots of warm clothes. So, yeah, so we're both feeling a little kind of laid back today and... uh not our little bubbly, bubbly selves, but we're, we're good. Which is fine. You don't and have to, I tell people that all the time. It's like, we live in such this immediate culture of like sensationalism and people feeling amazing all the time, or at least that's what they portray on social media and stuff. <laughs> and it's like, that's not the way, you know, it's one of the reasons I don't like the word depression. I like melancholy. Like there's nothing yeah, wrong with feeling like more reflective and melancholy sometimes or low energy and then just sort of being with that low energy and you know like I have pretty low energy today but I'm really enjoying like I organized all my seeds today I've been wanting to do that for like a year I ordered this like little plastic suitcase that came with these little colored plastic little um, cases that go inside of it and I put the labels and all my seeds and what year the seeds and when to plant them and so it's all organized and then I baked some, you know, different squashes and sweet potatoes and onions is so good when it comes out. I mean, do that. I sauteed some nuts with some spices like paprika and, and salt and, and onion powder and just like sauteed them in like the my iron cast iron pan. Yeah. Those on the sweet potato squash thingies and like nothing else is needed. No, those root vegetables are so oh. good this time of year. And, and yeah. And I, I grew them in the garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had our moms over for dinner last night and we did sweet potato and carrots and everything was so fresh and we just mashed them together and, you know, 
They're, you, they're like mashing them is fun together. Did yep. you put them all together? Yeah, we mashed it together. I love and... doing that. That's like one of my favorite things after a Thanksgiving dinner is putting everything together in a little mash and you get some onion in there and you get some sweet potato and purple potato and white potato and mm-hmm. churn up and, you know, different. Yes, so- and nobody's and nobody's going to choke because they're both all, well, one's 89 and the other one's 91. <laughs> so <laughs> don't want anyone choking, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, which leads into our topic. <laughs> it does lead into our topic because they are, uh, I mean, we're all born to die. Well, I always say, you know, no one's getting out of here alive. Exactly. Do you always say that, Eddie? Is that, is that an Eddieism? That's an Eddieism. I I don't think it's an Eddieism. No, uh, it came from somewhere else. I think some, (laughs) well, definitely somebody said it, but it's some, it stays in the back of my. Yeah, it's, yeah, and it's so true. And I think a lot of times we live like we're never going to die. Mm -hmm. We don't appreciate things. We don't appreciate people. We hold grudges for things, little things bother us. And as soon as there's, you know, somebody sick or dies, or there's a trauma in the world, you know, or another war starts, we start to reflect on our lives and our mortality, and we start to appreciate things more. Yeah, yeah, we do. We do. It's it's good to uh, reflect and yeah, the gratitude list. And also, you know, it's also really important to, to think you know, about those uncomfortable topics and, and death and dying is one of them. And when you get a healthy kind of outlook towards it and get your things in order, there's a relief, you know, it's like, it's like when you start your RRSP and you don't touch it and it's accumulating and you're like, oh, I'm so relieved I did that. You know, it's almost like the same thing with, I know when I did my will and I still am tweaking it. And there's a relief because there's like, oh, and then you can add, oh, I forgot about so-and-so and and I add, you know, you do it rather than wait till the very end where you're, you know, sometimes our senses are a little bit dulled as we get older, you know, that happens. And we're trying to be really clear at that time. So I know, I think if we can do this kind of stuff early. Well, it's, it can, it's so many benefits to it. It, Yes, it takes off your it off your mind. It takes the responsibility off other people. It's it it it's easier as you get older. And also it's like if you because my one of my friends, her sister died at 59 just two years ago. Mm-hmm. And she went in, in not a routine surgery, but it was not a, a surgery she was supposed to die in. And she died a few weeks later. And she didn't have her will. Her sister, who's a lawyer, had been telling her for years to make a will. And her life wasn't very, it was very complicated. It wasn't simple. They, she had money. She had property. She had a car. She had a, she had retirement funds. And my friend had to do all of that, you know, yeah. after her sister died, I had to go through all of her stuff. I was there. I flew into California to help her and had to go through all of her stuff. And it's a very odd thing if you've never done it before. And we might do it for our parents, but to go through, you know, and feel like, you know, I didn't, I knew this woman, but not really well. And I was there with her sister and her best friend and trying to help them with it. And you can feel like it's invasive, like you're invading their privacy. And then my friend feels guilt, survivor's guilt. And cause she is next of kin for her sister. I mean, so much. So, so you can avoid, or if it's for your children, you know, whatever it's for, none of us is guaranteed the next breath, let alone the next day or next year. So the sooner you get your will done, it takes it off your mind. 
it's also just a great thing to reflect on your life and and that you don't have a guarantee of the next 10 20 30 40 years whatever it is yeah and you know it's very stressful on on those who are left behind and you know that's uh we don't want to stress out our loved ones i mean my goodness they're aging too and we know stress raises cortisol levels so you know we don't want to do that so there's like not that i'm guilting anybody but you know it 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 just feels better when when you, we get these things done you know our last will and testament i mean i was sitting with my mom the other day cuz i i'm kind of doing a little summary of her life and just talking about different things and and you know and and we started talking about you know what she was wanting and she was like you know yeah i'm getting clearer and clearer on it <laughs> I was like, well, mother, you got to tell me now because you're you're going to be 89. Like she was, yes, that's true. We need to really get the details. I was like, yeah. So and and when it's done in a light way where, you know, it's. Um, Doesn't have to be know. a happy conversation like that's a, a great way you did it. You were kind of videotaping and talking to her about some of her stories in her childhood. And it was sort of natural that it came about, right? Not sitting down with somebody saying, Hey, you know, you're, you're getting old here. We, you know, what do you want? You know, there's a and, way. And the dynamics and the variables, right. With everybody it's, it's so it's different because you have family members, siblings, you've got people that want to do things a certain way. So when your mom or dad or senior or person that you're working with or living with, or the wishes are, are, there in writing clear clear as day there's no conflict yeah oh that's so true that's such a good point eddie because my family is so we're sort of all on the same page after my dad died this is a great story actually so my my dad and my brother had decided i don't know 10 years before my dad passed like when he was in his 70s my brother came to my dad and said listen i've got enough money i want i my sisters can can split the your money and so they took him out of the will so when we went to the lawyer's place the the day after my father passed he was all nervous to tell my brother that he wasn't in the will <laughs> and my brother's like no i i took myself out of the will and he goes we we're a family we don't we don't fight over money but that's very rare yes and so and so whether it's just you know jewelry you know, people fight over, oh my gosh, that even when sometimes the will is buttoned up, but then there's the belongings, sometimes yeah. writing it down, asking people what it is that they want, you know, or writing in what you want to give. It just really can uh, be a, a preventative measure for, for because it's such a high emotional time. I was thinking about this when, while my dad was passing back in 2019, and it was so emotional. My dad had chosen, you know, medical assistance and dying, which is legal in Canada. And it's legal in a couple of states in the U.S. too. If you're terminal and you have less than six months to live, you can get um, the lethal injection. But, and, you know, there's all kinds of requirements to go with it. And, and so that process can, I mean, death and all, it's all emotional anyway. Everybody feels so differently about death and processes things different, have, has a different relationship with their parents or whoever it is that's passing. So how people work out, you, you know, then why people get, you get, there's so much conflict with it because yes. the emotions are so high. And we just, I just felt so blessed to have done all the work and not, and it was still difficult and hard, but I was able to be in 
the the difficulty rather than being in the details of all of that of the stuff so that's a really great point is it really can prevent and and help it be um less emotionally challenged and less conflicting i guess well yes and more you know celebratory so you're celebrating this person's life not fighting over who gets what and oh there's land or there's bonds that were forgotten about or what's in the safe and you know because a lot of times people talk things under the mattress or bury it in the backyard I mean my goodness gracious so when things are kind of there it is here's where it's going here's what it's all about here's what I want to wear here's the music I want to listen to I want to be buried or cremated or you know there's so many things to discuss and just like you know birth Death is also, you know, a part of life. As Mother Teresa says, death is an achievement of life. So birth, we make, you know, balloons and cakes and parties and we welcome the life into the world. Well, we should do that too when when the body's transitioning, when, when you know, this is the, the, the spirit, the person, their belief systems, whatever. If I had a friend of the family who asked me after his wife passed, he he's in his 80s, and he said, would you sing some gospel songs for me at my funeral? I'm like, oh, you're having a funeral? Oh, yeah, I have all that written down. But he said, I want you to sing. I said, well, would you write down the songs you want me to sing? Because <laughs> then I can practice them and make sure I do a good job. Are you sure you don't want to audition some people for this? You know, <laughs> he's like, no. And then he yeah. passed about six months later, didn't no, he? No, 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 no. He's still he's still on this planet. Yeah, so. I remember you singing at another funeral about a year ago. That or was something. another funeral, yeah. Yeah. So I did. And and that was a beautiful celebration of life. And that was requested. And you know, it's it's you know, you want the person to go, okay, what pictures do you want us to show? And what pictures do you want, you know, when we do the celebration of your life or you know, it's it's um there's so much, right? There's so much to talk about with families. Mm -hmm. And, and, and hard, hard, like, even though my dad knew he was terminal, that he'd been told that there's nothing else they could do after they did radiation. He had some, some, some cells on his skull that were undiagnosed that were basal cell that turned systemic and, and um, well, they weren't basal cell when they started. And then, and then his face froze and actually, actually it was his, eye doctor who swabbed it that found the cancer uh, probably two years after it should have been found I don't think like that but it was a it was a you know traumatic last couple of years and so uh, so the conversations with him even though he knew he was terminal um it, I had to be and I spent the last couple of weeks sorry a couple of months with him um every day with him and I had to be, I, he, I could, I had to feel into when he wanted to talk about things. And it was usually when the palliative care, which in Canada, the palliative care is more transitioning after hospice sort of thing. It's, it's different in the U S what palliative care is, but um, when that nurse would come over, then he'd be open to talking about it. Cause she was just, she was coming there to talk about it. Like, this is when you should go in hospice. This is what palliative care is. This is what happens with the lethal need. This is what you feel. This is what your family members will see you know, all of that. So she was 
having the hard, so sometimes it is easier with another person there. And then we were able to talk about it a little after she left, but I knew my dad didn't have, if he all, he always thought if there was a God, God was an asshole because he felt like a victim. (laughs) And so, yeah. And so, um, I was, I was, I was excited for him to be out of pain, emotional and physical pain. And I was also excited to, to, for him to know that I was right all along. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) That there was life after, you know, (laughs) even though nobody knows for sure, but I'm, you know, that's my belief. So I still feel him. I still feel him. I've got my family picture next to my bed and the last card that he wrote me. Um, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did too. When I saw one of your Facebook posts with the the dressing, the salad, and the Caesar, and his picture, you know, and yeah, and I and I and it brought back memories, and it was almost like he's still there, right? You yeah. Know? Oh my yeah. dad adored you, Eddie. My oh, dad he only so met sweet. you. Um, he only met you one time. Yeah. And he never forgot it, you, and isn't always something? asked about you, and just adored you. Just thought you were the most beautiful woman he'd yes. ever met. Sweet. Wow. And trusted you. He didn't trust any other naturopath, but he trusted you. He was a hardcore <laughs> allopathic guy. And he just, whatever Dr. Eddie said he would do. Oh, so he was very sweet. You know, it's beautiful. You were with your dad. I was with my dad. My dad would be in his nineties now, but he died when he was 70 of colon cancer. And I was living in Nashville and we'd been up on a vacation and then we went back to Nashville. And then when I was home, though, with him, I noticed I, I sent him for some tests because I said, you know, you don't look well. And three weeks later, I'm back up taking care of my dad back back here in Newfoundland again and for three more weeks and to see him transition and off this planet. That only took three weeks, you know, from that. T- and I did mm-hmm. all the nursing care because I was an oncology nurse back in the 80s. And, um, you know, have worked with a lot of death and dying and the grief process and all that. And to be with him and to to know how this is going to kind of play out, you know, knowing as the body starts to die and I'm telling everybody, you know, to come and visit now. He's got his senses. And when you know all that, right, that's so helpful when you have somebody who can guide you through it instead of, the denial, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to see it. And well, they're not dying. dying. I can wait another day. They're not going to be Absolutely. gone. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to take a trip now. Yeah. yeah. They're gonna, you don't know. I'm like, no, I don't know, but I've worked in I this do. field and I kind of, yeah, you know, and, and, and it's like, we were all just everybody, all my siblings, everybody had a little part to play. Like we all really felt, you know, really supportive of dad and mom at that time, because, you know, we're also grieving at the same time, knowing we're, you know, he's going to, we're going to lose him. Right. And he's going to transition, but not, not in a really sad way. You know, you know, you're, I can't even, I shouldn't say the word losing because we know we're not here forever, but it's um, just to watch that transition was absolutely amazing. And to be with him and, um, just the feeling you're left with and knowing he's still around, like, honest to goodness, like every now and again, he's, he was a big smoker. And every now and again, I get this cigarette smell, 
like smoking, like it's his <laughs> export A or whatever it was he smoked. And I would go, God, he's here, you know, and no one else is smelling it. They're like, no, and it's not burnt toast. So it's not, you're not having a heart attack. It's that those smells. So this is, you know, comforting for a lot of people when they smell a rose or somebody's clone or perfume or, and they go, do you smell that? What is that? This is, I feel it's them, you know, it's, it's them. I've had too many experiences in my life with, um, you know, with, with the end of life, uh, transitionings. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I remember, um, Oprah saying when she lost Sophie, her dog that was with her every day for 15 years or something or 18 years, she had to record the day that she lost her. And she said she actually felt closer to Sophie after she passed because then there was no barrier. She was just with her all the time. And I, I feel that like I've, I definitely, my dad is easier to love. Like, even though I love my dad, he's easier to love now that he's gone because he was challenging. It was just, some, I mean, he, he had, he could be so much fun when he was in a good mood. He could be, he was the most charming man that there was, but he was, he did, you know, have that kind of victim mentality and, and was emotional and had a lot of anger issues and stuff. And so, especially the last, it was, conversations were always hard, especially on the phone. It's like what to talk about and it's short. And, um, and so it is, it's just the love is there now. And I know he did the best he could. And I know, and he was a great father and he, you know, he left my sister and I with a nice inheritance that's helpful for us. And, um, and I don't, don't think anything negative at all. I just see it how it is, but, mm -hmm. he, but it is easier to love him that he's. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 I, I feel you girl, you know, when, when the, the, you know, the other conversation we were wanting to have is about when, you know, it's the end of life and the belongings that are left behind the things, you know, to that nobody wants to deal with, right. The big elephant in the room. And of course I'm there and I have to get back to Nashville because my four-year-old who's now 30, but she was four then is like, mommy, I'm forgetting what you look like. When are you coming home? You know, and I'm in this, oh my gosh, I'm here now moving through my dad's belongings after we got the funeral and all that done. And we open up his drawer, myself and my mom, and I sit on the bed and his wallet is there. And I had given him um, money in a card, you know, and it was still sitting there. And in his wallet, was five little medals and he didn't go to church he he said you know the priest he's probably having more wine than I am you know he's like he mom would go to church and send us all wherever <laughs> their mom's dad, a believer yeah yeah and dad was like every when I looked and opened the wallet and took out the medals mom goes oh I didn't realize he had those in there and you could tell by the shine on them from the oldest to the youngest. So I took mine out from the middle and I gave everyone, you know, from the oldest, the tarnished one to the really shiny one to my little brother who was 20 at that time, 21, and um, packed up his belongings. He didn't have a lot of stuff. You know, he was a, a hard worker in his day and 
um, just just a bag of belongings to drop off. And mom's like, I'm so glad you did this because mm-hmm. and none of my sisters, you know, they're like, they're still grieving and I'm going, OK, I got to do this because I got to get back into my life now, you know. And it wasn't to push it away and hurry it up. And I gave it the time it, it needed, but it, it had to be done. And he, absolutely. And also you, because you were with your dad every day for those three weeks before he passed, plus the time before, right? You got to grieve even before he passed. You had accepted it. And your sisters may not, and your brothers may not have accepted it before then until it was final. That's what I found with my dad, because I was with him the whole time. I had already grieved it. And then when we were all in holding hands around the bed, when the doctor came in with the needle, my brother, my sister, and I holding my dad's hand, holding, you know, they're all crying and my nieces and my, my mom was there who they've been divorced, you know, for many years. And, and everybody was crying except for me because I had already grieved and I was kind of chanting mantras in my head and just praying and just like felt the love and, you know, wanting to send him on a, on the way. And so I, I feel like that, you know, I was able to do the, some of the, the due diligence because I was grieving before almost with my mom too. We'll get into that in a minute. Cause I want to hear more about that, but, but, and then, and then like you said, yeah, somebody has to do that. The belongings, it's a big deal. Oh, it is. It is a big deal. And then it's also the just just then coming together as a family, right? Just to as we all go back into our lives again and taking that moment to honor, you know, just to honor the person. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things take place at that time. That's why it's so nice when, you know, my dad didn't have, you know, cars and property and money to divvy up. I mean, we took care of his expenses, all the kids. So especially my older brother, but, um, you know, we all had our role to play, but it's so nice now that I get this time with my mom to really figure out what does she want? I mean, my dad, they waked him for three days and there was over 3000 people attended his funeral. I would walk into a room. Yeah. And shut the door. I was so overwhelmed by, by all of it. And everyone had a story and he, you know, he, he, he stood to 93 children as the godfather because he could drive from the, he did these long distance taxi rides and he would be the one bringing the pregnant mom to the hospital. So the only witness was him. (laughs) And I think almost all of them were there at his funeral. It was yeah, pretty incredible. Wow. So a lot of things you don't realize that they've done in their lives, you know, that kind of kind of sticks with you. So and every child has a different point of view. Yes. Yeah. Of, of their parents' life. So and your life nice. as, as siblings, too, is all different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Continue on. What were you? I was going to talk about my mom too, because both of our moms are still alive right now. And my mom is a few years younger than your mom, only a few years. She's 84 and her memory isn't great. It's not like, you know, she still remembers, she doesn't have dementia or Alzheimer's. She's got what they call mild cognitive impairment, which it's so funny how the brain works. It's like, she'll say, she'll be eating dinner and she'll say 10 times in a row, oh, this is such a good meal. Like it's the first time. And yet we'll play cards an hour later and she'll remember everything in the card game and who won and 
you know, uh, you know, it's all, it's all brain is very odd. So I actually started grieving the loss of my mom, probably four or five years ago, right around her memory started to go right around the time when my dad passed, they weren't together, but I was spending more time with her. And I started to notice little things um, that weren't, that were changing in her brain. And so I, you know, she's in, in the moment, she's still the same person when I'm talking, I'll FaceTime her now. And I can tell her, like I told her all about our Sicily trip and we had the best time talking about our Sicily trip. And I told her all these stories and we had a great time. It was like a 45 minute call where usually it's like 20 minutes and she was laughing and had comments and just all of that. And then a couple of days later, I was saying to my sister, Oh, you know, mom, I think she's doing really well um, because, you know, we had a 45 minute call and she goes, Oh, that's funny. She said she hadn't talked to you since she got back from Sicily. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, so, um, so I did start grieving because mom, what, was my best friend my whole life. I mean, you're my best friend, but she was also my best friend. She's been to every important event in my life and has flown to Australia and everywhere I was in the world doing something special. She would come here for two months. She would run House of Bliss when I went to India the first time she ran my first yoga studio. She was here two months. So I have grieved the fact that I, if she can't me sort of give me the same feedback anymore with anything I'm having a problem with because her brain isn't that well. So that grieving process has already started, but there's a different relationship now, which is, is still fine and mm -hmm. still great. It's just, it's so, so that it's already started. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're so good with her. You know how, as we get older and especially as seniors, they start to forget things and they feel bad or they make a comment and you know, that's not the time in our lives to really start overcorrecting and really correcting or pointing out, I wish you had done this when I was this age. They, 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 because then they start to feel like they're going to pull away. They might as well just pull away from everything. And we have to be careful with that. Don't you agree? Yeah, they're already feeling insecure. So, it, so I talk about it as uncertainty. So as we get older, and especially as we get more frail and our memory isn't so good, or, you know, we already know, they already know that. So, and then what happens is the, the child, you know, might step up and start making, trying to make decisions and trying to do things. And the parent is already feeling insecure. So you have to do it in a way, or it's best to do it in a way if that you still, they still feel in control. Because if you start taking any more control or making them feel insecure, like correcting them all the time, they, they'll stop, you know, the relationship won't be very good in the end. So actually I've helped quite a few people because I learned how to do that with my dad and I'm learning how to do that with my mom and really letting them make the choice. Like I remember there was this dining room table. My sister's helped me so much with this because she's a speech path and she studies the brain. So she knew so much more. So when I, when my mom was moving from this, you know, you know, 2,200 square foot tri-level townhouse into her two bedroom little unit at the retirement community, um, she had to get rid of a lot of stuff. And I was there getting, you know, rid of it. And she had this dining room table. It was humongous. <laughs> it would have taken up probably her whole den and kitchen in her new place it wouldn't fit and so um i we have the same and she wouldn't remember we'd have the same conversation every day she'd say uh, i'd say mom you know you really can't take your dining room table 
oh, but I really, I know I have to take that dining room table. I, I know, remember how much it costs and I have to take it. And all she does is keep her puzzles on it. I said, like, mom, how many meals have you had on that dining room table? Well, it doesn't matter. I've, I've had, what if I want dinners? I'm like, but you're not cooking anymore. So this is the kind of conversations we get into. And I said to my sister, I've had the same conversation with her. And she said, okay, you tell her that it's her decision. And what you do is you show her the dimensions of her place. And sure enough, a week later, every day I would say, okay, mom, you get to decide whatever you want to take. Whatever you want to take, you tell me what goes. And, and then about a week at, she goes, no, I can't, the dining room table won't fit. So she got to make the decision. Yeah. That's really, and you were really good with your honey's mom that way, because he didn't have those skills with her, but you did. You were saying, you know, you were really helpful with listening to her stories, mm -hmm. you know, when she downsized to get into her place. Yeah, she had to downsize into her two-bedroom flat. And um, yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot. And and also with kindness, right? Knowing the stories, like letting them tell the stories. So the process takes time. You can't just grab everything and throw it in a box or bag and go, Mom, no, you can't do this. Yeah. You can't do this, right? This, this feel, just think about it yourself if somebody did that to you, right? You're already feeling less confident about, you You know, you can't drive as well as you used to. You're, you know, your body's aging. You're getting older. You're not as sharp. You're not quick. And then everybody comes in and starts moving your cheese, you know? And you're going, but, and that's why when we set her up at her other place, she had most of her, we wanted her to get some new pieces of furniture, but she liked what she already had. So that made sense. And I'm like, that's perfect. You can always change it out down the road if you want a new chair or if that one's uncomfortable. And, and that's kind of what's happened, but she's got really, I, I, I don't know if she misses the stuff now that it's been several years now because she's got what really gives her lots of memories and her trinkets and her, you know, little shelves of things. And, and that's important. That's important to them to, uh, to honor that. Yeah. yeah. To, to take what they want and have it be their decision. And if you let them, they'll come to it. If yeah. you just kind of go through the back door, like by saying my, I know my sister said, mom, you know, we can buy you all new furniture. My mom, my mom loves shopping. And we're like, well, you can buy all new furniture. You can buy it. We can get a new lazy boy for you. And we'll get it stuff that looks good in your new place. And so that's kind of how we got her interested. And then my sister went shopping with her and they got all new stuff. And her place is really cute. Yeah, it is really cute. And so, so is, you know, my um, mother-in-law, her place is, is lovely. Yeah. Lovely. And that's the other thing, deciding, like I've had a lot of conversations with people and people feel very strongly about this. It's like um, whether to go in retirement home. And un unfortunately, we're just still not very good at this. Like people think retirement home and they think nursing homes with that are so depressing. But retirement communities, if you can afford it, that's the thing is they're quite expensive. But they're, my, my mom's an independent living. Mm -hmm. But she can go down and have meals. She has her own kitchen, but she doesn't like cooking anymore. Yes, and well, so they, she, they they they're tired of cooking. You're cooking seventy years of your cooking, life. Yeah, dishes. Yep. And so dinners there. If they want to connect with somebody, they can connect. So there is a time in in I I see it now as I get older. Like there's a time in your life where you know if you see yourself needing some of those things um 
you you want to plan ahead because sometimes you miss the moment, the opportunity to make that move. And then all of a sudden you're 95 and you won't budge from your house. <laughs> and then family members are coming around. They have to, everyone's life is upset and they're trying to tend. And, and then the guilt sets in because one person can't do it because they want to take a vacation, right? So we're older and some retired and mother and father, they, they don't want, they never wish that on their kids. So these uncomfortable moves and talks, they have to take place because people get resentful and you don't want to be resentful and you don't want to be full of guilt and you don't want to have bitterness. You want to, this last chapter of, of, of life, we want to attend to it and make sure the, that the person's wishes are what they want, not what we want. That's yeah. why I really want to know what, the, what do you want, mom? And we'll have that conversation with the people we love in our lives. So there, and there is a, a way of talking about it. It's not like you don't go in when they're laying in the bed or not feeling good and you go, so, <laughs> you know, do you have a DNR order uh, signed? <laughs> You know, um, who's which your means power do not resuscitate, Which means if they have a heart attack and they've got brain damage, you you know don't want them back to life. That's yes, a lot of people who's got power of attorney on you. Some people, you know, even our age, if something happened to us and we don't have somebody as a power of attorney, you want somebody you don't know planning what they're going to do with you, yeah. right? No, what happens? Uh, so when people don't do their will and get their stuff taken care of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you have your wishes written down and everything's clear and, and it's just so important. It's so important. And it is really researching and sitting with your belief systems around death and dying. Is it a celebratory time? Is it, you know, of course it's going to be sad. And, and people always say it's probably the most uncomfortable time I witness people is when someone dies because they go, I'm sorry for your loss. Like it's that, that's the sentence. I'm sorry for your loss. And we got to have better words. <laughs> I really, I really have a problem with that statement. Yes. We got to have better words because yeah. we know, we know we're going. So it's like, I, I usually say, I, I, I'm so happy I knew this person and these are some of the things we did and they'll stay forever in my heart. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And, and we mean, well, those are words, my deepest condolences, my deepest sympathy, my, you know, I, I remember one time I found these cards and I bought a bunch of them and they had tree seeds in the pack and it said, I have planted these seeds for you in honor of your mom or your dad, right? Of this person. And I went, my goodness, why can't I find those anymore? Isn't that a, we should pull some of your seeds out of your case and kind of <laughs> grow some. Yeah. 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 But yeah. I think it's a beautiful thing. You know, people plant apple trees to remember somebody and like. And some people trees. Some people even take the remains of the cremation remains and put them in the garden. There might be a person in our garden. Might be. 
there, no, there is Scott, Scott, who used to look after who built my garden. Remember Scott and Sushi? Scott yes. passed away about five years ago and his, and his wife, Sushi, brought over some of his remains and gave me a few tablespoons. <laughs> and I put them in my compost. And so he's like everywhere now in the That's garden. That's great. Well, we're everywhere anyway. Yeah. We're everywhere anyway. You know, yeah. the matter, the, the body, the, you know, yeah. It's it's uh it, it's really coming to terms with what our thought is around it and even getting more comfortable, read up on it, get get comfortable with the topic. Yeah. We can learn so much, Eddie. You're so right. It's like when you're when you're looking after that for yourself or you're looking after it for somebody else, like if somebody's passing. Um, or you have to, you know, it really makes you think about your mortality and you learn about what your belief systems are, where you are with it. And I firmly believe that our body slows down and our mind slows down. Not that everybody's mind and slows down, you know, to become, you know, old, but there is the most natural thing in the world is aging. Mm -hmm. And you can still, oh. I mean, the reason why we don't, we don't hold up that thought. Yeah, the reason yeah. why we, um, we feel ageless is because we are what's looking through our eyes is ageless. So we're surprised when we look in the mirror and there's more wrinkles because there is an ageless, like we, we have both parts of that in ourselves. And so, and so, but as we'd get right to, about where we're going, as we slow down and mm -hmm. we don't have as much energy as we used to get right about where we're going, what we feel, you know, all of it in our relationship. Yes, well we do. We do. We slow down. We even, I even said to you the other day, like even with going downhill skiing, I love cross country more where I used to love downhill skiing, but it's only be, it's not that I'm losing confidence in my skiing, but there's a lot of people faster than me and I don't want to get wiped out on the hill. And my reflexes might not be as fast as the 20 year old flying over the hill. You know, I'm 60. So I'm, I'm just being smart about it. So it's like an 85 year old says, you know, I'm starting to lose confidence in my driving. You think I should park my car? I'm like, when you start losing confidence, that means our eyesight is changing, the hearing, our reflexes are, you know, not as quick. So yeah, maybe it's time. And then I, I even had to go through that with, with mom when she was in her early 80s because of her vision started to change. And she said, I look out in the driveway and my car is not there. Now I feel really old. I said, well, mom, you're 84. Yeah. <laughs> you are really old. <laughs> and I said, but just because your car is gone, you have tons of friends now that you're going to see more often because they're still driving and they're going to come and pick you up and you're still going to do your things. And she's now she's 88 and she loves it. So she loves it. She gets picked up in a nice warm car and she doesn't have to scrape the window and see how it all changes. You know, I, I wrote this down earlier and I thought whenever it arises, I wanted to say it to you, but I just saw a picture of Jane Fonda and she had this, she was talking, she calls it the Zen of aging and it's just posted. And she said, aging when they say it's like a mountain and you're over the hill and da, da 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 no she says aging is a staircase the upward ascension of the human spirit bringing us into wisdom wholeness and authenticity nice isn't it beautiful the zen of aging yeah and 
it's, it's, it's mind, that state of mind we get in and, and what story we tell ourselves and, and the experiences also around death and dying when, you know, if you were five years old and you never saw somebody in a coffin before, that's, that's shocking. You know, it's shocking. I remember taking my grandson, he's eight now, and we went to my uncle's funeral and we didn't go right up to the casket unless he wanted to, but he said, why is he in there? Is he sleeping or something? I said, well, he's at rest. They call it a final rest. And he said, well, where's he going? I said, buddy, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> it's a mystery, but I think we're all headed that way. He goes, huh, he had a lot of people that loved him. I said, he sure did. And that's his experience around us, right? I didn't want it to be, yeah, look, come up, I'll show you the guy. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, there's a respect and, and uh, around it. And we need to get kind of have a good heart to heart with ourselves about it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a, it's a deep topic. It's a, it's a emotional topic for many people, both for the people you may lose and for yourself, thinking about yourself no longer being on the planet. Um, but it's inevitable for all of us. And the more we talk about it, the more we can normalize it and hopefully um, start looking at these things instead of pushing them under the rug. At least I hope that's what people got out of our conversation today. Hope you found some helpful things that will help you deal with either aging people around you or yourself. Um, you know, that's why we have these conversations on our podcast is because we love to talk about these things. This is a very similar to a topic we would talk about just driving down the road, Eddie and I, you know. Yes. And, you know, there's also, which we'll talk about sometime as well as we, you know, uncover a lot of uncomfortable subjects or really comfortable subjects. But we'll, you know, we'll talk about the grieving process and grief and, and where it sits in our lungs and in our heart, you know, the lungs and the heart area hold sadness and grief. So, you know, there's, there's some ways to ease that in there as well, because, you know, we, death and dying happens at every age, mm -hmm. every age. And there is a grieving process, whether it doesn't, whether they're young or old, right? So, or a pet, you know, lose pets. That's the way we, some young people first start to learn about death. And we had, we had so many pets that died when I was young. So. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And, and yeah, yeah, there's so much, but you know, that, that's really nice for us to, to talk about it here a bit because it really helps also you know, clear things up, you know, in my own head, I'm like, Oh, yeah, I got to get that done now. Oh, I got to remember to do that. Oh, yeah, that's on my to do mm -hmm. list and mm -hmm. change that. And, you know, yeah, but all this, you know, people are pulling out their RSPs. Finally, they're 90. <laughs> they're going, Oh, I think I need my RSP now. I'm like, Oh, wicked. <laughs> <laughs> that's way. Whoa, well, yeah. So, Thank you, Corinne, for this beautiful time. Yeah, thanks, that It was a lovely conversation. Till next time. Till next time.